Welcome to Topple Uncaged. I'm Steve Topple and you're locked on to the UK's hottest politics and music podcast. Each week I bring you the rawest takes on the big stories making the news, always joined by a very special guest. Then I pleasure your mind, body and soul with the freshest, most banging international music going. Uncaged. What's up everyone, I am Steve Topple, it is Sunday the 26th of May, and that can only mean one thing, it's this week's edition of Topple Uncaged. Yes, don't get me wrong, I'm no fan of Kanye West's politics, however this track is quite appropriate for what's been going on this week in the UK and globally as well. The concept of school seems so secure. So- we had the collapse of British Steel, putting 25,000 jobs at risk. We had the pandemonium of the EU elections, not least lots of EU nationals being denied a vote. But of course, the near obliteration, or so it seems to be shaping up, of the main political parties. Internationally, we had increased tensions between the US and Iran. We had another global school strike for the climate. And back closer to home, a fifth damning UN report implicating the DWP in human rights. Breaches. However, of course, my summing up of the week would not be complete without this. Oh, I could hide the wings of the bluebird as she sings. Yes, Calamity May, the Maybot, the Mayhem finally left office. Well, I say left, she's hanging on by the shreds of her teeth for a few more weeks while they find another nasty, vicious, unpleasant Tory leader to take over as Prime Minister. Utterly deluded about her record in office, as was much of the mainstream media and commentariat. Her pathetic display of whimpering on the steps of number 10 seemed to fool a lot of people, but trust me, it didn't fool us here at Topple Uncaged. She really is a daydream believer, but she ain't no homecoming queen. So on that note, we've got a jam-packed show for you this week. Of course, I'll be giving you the quickest-firing news roundup in the UK. I've got a fantastic campaigning guest to talk about an issue very close to my heart. You'll be having your say on the week's top stories in Twitter chirps back. And back to campaigning again, I've got a fantastic band on today's podcast talking about another issue very close to my heart as well. Cheer up, Theresa May. It might never happen. Cheer up, sleepy Jean. Oh, what can it mean to It's the UK's quickest current affairs roundup. It is plucked news. Yes, it is the UK's quickest news roundup. It is plucked news. I usually give you five stories in about five minutes, but this week I want to focus on just two. 
because I think there are some real perspectives that are missing from the commentary at the minute. So if you're ready, let's get steady and let's go. Of course, it'd be remiss of me not to start with Theresa May resigning. Yes, I'm sure we all saw the footage of her weeping on the steps of Downing Street, saying her biggest regret was not delivering on Brexit. I'm sorry, what? Your biggest regret was not delivering on the most divisive political agenda in modern British history? Not only did you not deliver on it, but you managed to carve the country in two. Finishing what David Cameron began and splitting especially the working classes down the middle. Of course, anyone I think it could have been planned like this. Hmm. But seriously, after everything that's happened in Theresa May's tenure and before that when she was Home Secretary, and she regrets Brexit the most, I've made a, a useful little list of all Theresa May's non-achievements, in other words, all the disasters she has either been directly or indirectly responsible for, and trust me, it is a bit of a long one. I mean, where do you begin with her achievements apart from failing on Brexit miserably? Would you like to start with austerity, the Windrush scandal, Grenfell, Waspy Women, Or how about the five UN reports, one Human Rights Watch report and one EU Council report into successive UK governments and their human rights violations on these very shores? I mean, we could talk about supporting Saudi war crimes in Yemen. We could mention the chaos in Northern Ireland, the chaos in the Chagos Islands. We could come back to home and talk about the intentional targeting by the DWP of sick, chronically ill and disabled people, resulting in the UN calling it a human catastrophe. We could talk about her supporting the corporate coup in Venezuela, bombing Syria, and of course her continued support for the apartheid government in Israel. But no, we won't mention any of that. We're supposed to feel sympathy for the woman because she was crying as she left in the same way Margaret Thatcher did. Do me a favour. Problem we have here is, of course, the leadership contest, and none of these people are suitable to hold office of any form. If I was a betting man, which I'm not, I would place money on Sajid Javid, actually. I don't think the Tory party can install Boris that quickly. He is too divisive and has too much of a racist back history. I think Jeremy Hunt is too incompetent, and all the press know this, so they're not going to support him. Dominic Raab, bit of an unknown, bit much of a too-hard Brexiteer. It would not surprise me if they put the soft, corporate overtones of Sajid Javid into office. He is, for me, a perfect perfect fit for the Tory party. Obviously of Muslim heritage, very much corporate like David Cameron and George Osborne were, but also kind of softish, hardish on Brexit, and of course he has well-known connections in the EU because he previously used to work for Deutsche Bank. It would not surprise me in the least if they installed Javid into this role, and ultimately made him hard Prime Minister. But of course, with 120,000 members of the Tory party, this is in no way democratic. We have been here before with them though, haven't we? And as Jeremy Corbyn is quite rightly pointing out, there should be a general election. Pfft, yeah, like that's going to happen. I would also add this outpouring of love for Tory MP Rory Stewart is extremely misplaced. I watched the last leg on Friday night and I was absolutely disgusted. They were reading off this roll call of all his achievements in life and Joanna Lumley said, well, look, at least he's ha- he has had lived experience, unlike a lot of MPs. What, going to school at Eton? Yeah, really out of the ordinary in the Tory party, isn't it? Please, let's not sympathise and extol virtue of this man. He is just a Tory through and through who voted for welfare cuts, who chooses to be in the Tory party and is from a privileged background. He is just another rogue within the Conservative ranks. Quite frankly, none of them are up to the job and I scarcely believe that any of them will be safely elected by the Tory party anyway. It's going to be absolute chaos. But we will see how this pans out when we will get the result in about July. And the second story is, of course, the final report of UN Special Rapporteur on Extreme Poverty, Philip Alston, which was published this week. It was, in many respects, a scathing and damning report, where he said that, quote, it might seem to some observers that the Department for Work and Pensions has been tasked with designing a digital and sanitised version of the 19th century workhouse, made infamous by Charles Dickens. Much of his commentary was about how Tory ideology was pushing the agenda of austerity, where it actually had no basis in factual correction of the economy, and he called the what's happening in this country brutal and harsh. But he also focused on universal credit. Some of the shortcomings 
farming, says words not mine, included food bank use increasing where the DWP has rolled universal credit out, the government treating claimants like guinea pigs with its test and learn approach, ministers dismissing its concerns, the perverse and catastrophic five-week payment weight, punitive sanctions, and the flaws in universal credit being online only. Yes, well, this was all wonderful, and it was quite a scathing report, to be fair. However, what he did was not quite so good, in my opinion. He came out and said that the idea of universal credit in principle is a good one. No, 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 no. You can read a full article I did on this on www.mrtopple.com. However, in my opinion, what he has done is essentially given the green light for the DWP to make some more tinkering around the edges regarding universal credit and then steamroller it ahead anyway. You cannot fix something that is permanently broken. Universal credit by design was supposed to be this chaotic. It was supposed to be harsh in claimants and it was supposed to create a climate of fear and trepidation surrounding claiming benefits. Because the ultimate idea with it is to push as many people off benefits as possible and into as little work they can as possible and keep everyone else who is either severely disabled, a single mother, or work shy, as the Tories would probably call it, a modern day workhouse, as Philip Olsen pointed out about what's happening in this country more broadly. But he missed the point. You cannot endorse universal credit. It's a nasty, pernicious system which is designed to be having all these effects. Philip Olsen, hmm, I feel you let us down on this one, sorry. But of course, as if by magic, as soon as Philip Olsen published his report, it was the same day that this two-page spread by the DWP appeared in the Metro. And let's not forget as well, this was the week that Jeremy Hunt appointed the UK's first ever international human rights ambassador. <clears throat> like I say, when there's been five UN reports, one Human Rights Watch report, and a EU Council report, all saying that the UK has committed human rights violations against sick, chronically ill and disabled people. You literally couldn't make this shit up. But then, you can make anything the Tory party do up, and we know this by now. And that's it for this week's Pluck News. Now I have a very important campaign to talk to you about. Soaring above this week's top stories, I'm free-flying with... As many listeners to this podcast and readers of The Canary will know, one subject that is very, very close to my heart through bitter personal experience is that of chronic illness. And no more so than my guests this week. Um, We're approaching summer now, and you will probably see a load of stories in the press about this certain disease, but unfortunately, quite often, they will not paint a very accurate picture of it. But a group in the UK is trying to change that and raise awareness. They had a brilliant protest at Parliament on Wednesday just gone the 22nd of May and I have someone from the group to talk to us today to explain this very poorly misunderstood and to be honest I think misdiagnosed disease the disease is Lyme and the person is Rachel Fawkes David from Lyme Protest UK Rachel thank you so much for coming on the podcast to talk about this I I try and support what you guys do as much as I can but consequently because of Nicola's illnesses she lives with I wasn't able to get to parliament this year so I appreciate coming on Hello and thank you. Hi, thanks for having me. My absolute pleasure. So, as always with this section, we want to give listeners a nuts and bolts overview of what we're talking about here. So, Rachel, to start with, um, can you explain, kind of in layman's terms really, what is standard Lyme disease? How do you get it? Um, What are the symptoms? What is Lyme all about? Lyme disease is a bacterial infection which you get from a tick bite. Not all ticks are infected, but there are an awful lot which are. So that's how you get the disease. Um, some people get a rash, some people don't get a rash. But the consequences are terrible. And what exactly are the, the symptoms of Lyme disease? It's like having the worst hangover ever. Headaches, neck stiffness, paralysis, joint ache. You just ache. The 
bacteria drills into all tissues in your body. You can have heart problems, all sorts of problems. And sometimes the doctors it gets mimicked up something else, like ME, for example. Lots of things, you know, and it does, it's something that does need to be done about it. Indeed it does, because there's another sort of poorly misunderstood and quite often an aspect of Lyme disease, which in my experience from what I've read and people I've talked to, it ain't even recognised properly. And this is chronic Lyme disease in so much yes. that it's, it's Lyme disease which stays in the body and um, affects the body long after, according to standard medicine, the disease should have cleared up and gone away. I mean, what's, so what's the deal with chronic Lyme? What makes it different to the standard Lyme disease that you'd get from a tick you'd have this infection and the symptoms and then recover from it what's different about chronic Lyme because it's left untreated it gets worse so it's following around your body if you understand it's it's growing and growing and it's just making it deteriorate and it's not properly recognised, is it? I mean, I know, obviously, the NHS recognises Lyme disease in so much of the what they class as standard infection and symptoms, but chronic Lyme isn't even properly recognised, is it, by the NHS? No, not at all, because they do the first health test, and as myself personally, came back negative. Second test came back negative. So testing is essential, and... The new knee guidelines now have changed, so if you get bitten and you do have the rash, you do get treated straight away. But doctors do not know about Lyme disease. Well, obviously they do know, but people aren't getting treated. You know, there's hundreds of people being bitten every day. Whether, you you know, people are unlucky enough to get bitten, not everyone's going to go out and get bitten. But you could just be in your own garden like myself. I got bitten in my garden. You know, but it's the testing is essential. They need to do something with the testing, because if the testing comes up positive, then you can get treated. All of people who have been bitten for years, there's some people 20 plus years who have been suffering and suffering for so long and denied treatment on the NHS because these tests stay negative. You know, there's people that have passed away, so many people that have passed away and so many people left at home to suffer all by themselves. It is just absolutely disgraceful. Can I ask you, I mean, in your opinion, why, why do you think the NHS is failing to recognise chronic Lyme? Because, I mean, I know um, as well as you do, the tests out there do exist for it because you can go to one of them is Armin Labs in Germany where you get their Ellie Spot tests, which, which looks sort of drills down into almost DNA level and it will show up um, that Lyme... Yeah, the NHS won't accept them foreign testing. I've had a private test on myself, it won't be accepted. Their test says no, so it's no treatment. And that, this is where the problem is. It's just, uh, it, it makes me really annoyed actually because i mean Armin labs in germany especially extremely well known they're they're well world renowned for what they do and yet as you say the nhs doesn't recognize these tests i mean and and it's interesting it's it's very similar for a host of other illnesses as well because Armin labs do all sorts of tests don't they for um like hhv6 and epstein-barr and cytomegalovirus and uh, it just beggars belief i mean why why do you think why do you think the situation is like it is with the NHS? So why are they not accepting these tests? Is it? They because... just, I don't know. I don't know what it is. And I've got my own theory, but I won't say that I'm here. But, you know, it's, it's, just not, it's just not humane. It's like these people seem to think, you know, these top people, that they're not going to get bitten. They don't know. They could go out and it could happen to them. But if people, if it was aware in the country, it's not just our country, it's loads of countries, apart from Antarctica, I suppose. 
you know, there's so many people being bitten around the world. And if they were treated straight away, if doctors were aware, people wouldn't be left to suffer for so so long. You know, it's like one guy lost his eyesight. He was bedridden. And it's just disgraceful. It's just why wasn't this poor person treated? You know, everyone's life is so precious in this world. We're only here once. And to let people, the government, to let people suffer is it's just, it's, it's not normal. It's not humane. It's everyone should have the right to a lovely life. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I mean, there's there's something very, very wrong here with what is going on with chronic Lyme in this country. I mean, and of course, as you, as you say, I mean, hundreds of people are being bit in a day. We don't even really know the true extent of how many people are living with this and may not even realise or they might be misdiagnosed um, who are being fobbed off by medical professionals. And it, it's a sort of damning. Well, yeah, the medical professionals, it's like you go to Pete, new, new members, you've got the doctors that have been bitten, I've got this right. Oh, it's ringworm. No, it's not ringworm. If I'd known about this group previously in 2015, I wouldn't be suffering what I'm suffering now. You know, but there's too many people in this country, well, every country, suffering, and they're not getting the treatment that they need, and they do need this treatment, and it's so unfair and it's so cruel to let people, you go to the doctors, you expect help, and obviously hospitals are so busy, etc., and you go to specialists. But to be dismissed and say there's nothing wrong with you, it's all in your mind, <laughs> it's a joke. It really is a joke. No, it is, absolutely. And when we see it with so many other chronic illnesses and diseases as well, there's something... Well, yeah, there's many, wrong. many people suffering all over, and it, it's just... No, it's not at all. And this is exactly why um, I have people like you on this podcast, to try and raise awareness of exactly what is going on. So the campaign centred around Lyme and and the protests that happened on Wednesday, but the campaign more broadly, I mean, what what are your aims? What are you trying to do with the ongoing campaign? Treatment. Treatment for all those people that are suffering. Because it it isn't a nice life. There's people that are worse than me. I... For antibiotics offline, I'll be honest. I'm not meant to say that. I don't know. I don't care. That's but fine. otherwise, I'd be I'd be bedridden if I hadn't. So I took it off my own back. I also um, treat myself from Stephen Bulmer's book. I buy myself a load of herbs, which I can't afford. You know, and many other people do it too. You take just so many. You just want to be able to get out of bed and feel human and live a normal life instead of being poorly and not being able to do nothing. No, I know, and I appreciate you being so honest about it as well. And I, I, again, I dread to think how many people are pushed into positions like this where they feel they have no choice but to essentially yeah. self-diagnose, self-medicate, because there is nothing on offer from them from a medical profession which should be able to offer them treatment because the the treatment does exist out there. It is possible to get properly tested and properly looked at and diagnosed and analysed and set on a treatment path, but it's just, I mean, it's a staggering state of affairs yeah well john caldwell was willing to put a terrible a, a massive amount of money into the government and nothing's happened nothing at all and it's like why why are, why are they not helping because can they not help us do they not know how to treat it no, you know exactly. I've read, you know the connecticut the village called Lyme, where it first you know was man-made or so they said 
Yeah, exactly. I will put a link to that in the show notes because that is very important. Yeah, because there's again something going on. You mentioned John Caldwell for listeners at home. That is the um, former boss of Phones for You who had 11 members of his family diagnosed with Lyme disease and he spent around £2 million, I believe, trying to get his son properly diagnosed, properly treated. He went over to Germany where Armin Labs, the company who do the proper testing for chronic Lyme, are based. And he now he's been very, very vocal on campaigning about Lyme. He's been really like quite um he's been quite out there as well, hasn't he? He hasn't minced his words with what he what no, he thinks he's, going on. He's been absolutely amazing and everything that he's done for everything that he does, he's been absolutely amazing, but nothing has become of it and he's tried to help so many people and he still does with different problems. But this certain problem of ours, nothing's happening, you know, and it still needs to be out there and it, people do need to realise that they could go in their garden, they could go for walks, they could get bitten and it will change their life dramatically. Yeah, absolutely, and it's a brilliant way to sum it up, Rachel, to be honest. And it's the same with all disability, isn't it? I mean, you think you're fine, and it could affect any single one of us. So Lyme Disease Protest UK is a campaign group. I'll be putting full details of what they do and how you can get involved with them in the show notes. Rachel, thank you so much for coming on to talk about this. It is a really, really, really important topic, and it also sums up so many other issues that we face in this country. Now, also, I appreciate your honesty as well. I'm lot of respect for you so rachel for the minute thank you so much for coming on yeah thank you very much too time for you guys to be uncaged because twitter chirps back Yes, this is part of the show where you get to air your dirty laundry of the news, giving me your views on the week's top stories in Twitter Chirps Back. Yes, and I've had some excellent comments this week, actually. Let's get going, because we've got quite a few to rattle through. First off, Tenacious V. Hello, Tenacious V, all the way from Scotland. I know this lady very well. She said, Why are EU election staff just turning folk away instead of calling the presiding officer to clear up clerical errors? Why are tendered ballot papers not offered to folk who are told they have already voted as proxy or postal? If it is disputed, why no action taken? Yes, this is more chaos isn't it tenacious v with the european elections i don't know something very iffy is going on here not that we should be surprised with iffy elections i mean 2015 the most disproportionate election in british history of course all the tories get in off the back of tory election fraud but of course we can't mention that can we Benefits News, yes, hello, Benefits News, they tweeted that Workhouse UK and how Rudd may put and complete R-E-U-N-S-R. Yes, this is, of course, the report from the UN Special Rapporteur on Extreme Poverty, Philip Alston, which I discussed early in the show, but what I didn't mention was, yes, Amber Rudd is going to put in a complaint about how he conducted his survey and analysis of the UK and the content of his report. I mean, the arrogance of these people is absolutely, absolutely staggering, Benefits News, but, of course, this is the fifth report by the UN, and it came in the same week as a report by Human Rights Watch, accusing the UK government of violations of international human rights law. Some people say the Tories are blinded to poverty and the extreme destitution and suffering that is happening in this country. I don't think they are blinded. I think they're fully aware they know what's going on in this part of a longer-term plan. Marching towards a dystopian future we are, where there is an underclass of society segregated off from everyone else. And Rudd's complaint over Philip Olsen's report just sums this up. Arrogance. Paula Peters, hello Paula, she also said Philip Olsen poverty reports slash Metro Universal Credits ads. Yes, this is the Metro who allowed the DWP to take out a two-page spread promoting Universal Credit this week. Absolutely disgusting bit of propaganda. You can read something that Alex Tiffin wrote about that on his website, www.universalcreditsufferer.com. And she also tweeted a brilliant photo Paula did of polling station with a notice above saying, please do not sit on the fence. 
Speaking of Alex Stiffen, he said, media bias. Good grief, where to begin with that? Um, media bias over Brexit, media bias over Jeremy Corbyn, media bias over Julian Assange, media bias over Trump and Iran. It is a constant problem we have, isn't it? Yes, media bias. But of course, we all know why. Most of the lackeys in the media are establishment forelock tuggers who are more interested in keeping their careers on the go and their mortgages paid than actually reporting the truth in this country. David Hattam, hello David, he said, they jailed the wrong pair. And he just tweeted a photo of the craze with David Cameron and George Osborne. Hmm, enough said on that one, really. And to finish us off, Lucy Wood, hello Lucy. She tweeted, why did Tommy Robinson get covered in two milkshakes, but Farage only one? Is it because Nigel's milkshake was gentrified? 525 is a lot of money for a milkshake. And why wasn't Nigel more grateful for the extra expense phone at him? Now, obviously on Toppling Cage, we do not endorse people throwing milkshakes at each other. We think it is far better to have an in-depth, engaged commentary and conversation about the hot political issues of the day and try and win people over with our minds, not with our fists, or in this case, milkshakes shakes. But yes, are we seeing gentrification extended into soft drinks now? That is a very pertinent question and one which mm, I'm not too sure of the answer of yet. As always, thank you for all your comments on Twitter, Chirps Back. You can get involved every Thursday night. I will be tweeting about half past ten where you can air your dirty laundry. But now we're on to a very, very important subject. And here's this week's banger in Revolutionary bird song. My guests on this week's podcast are two parts of a psychedelic punk, but also melodic pop band. Formed in the 80s, promptly disbanded in the 80s, they have come back with a bang, and it's great to see them here after a hiatus of around 30 years. Why do I say they've come back with a bang? Because they have released a track which is extremely close to my heart in its subject matter. It's also an absolutely brilliant song, but proceeds from the track are also going to an organization which is also very close to my heart and an organization that i know very very well the song is absolutely stunning it's haunting but we will get into that later for the minute i'm very pleased to introduce from the band your heterosexual violence dave dodd and brian o'brien guys thank you so much for coming on the podcast is i'm really pleased to have you on because this track is amazing we will get into that later but hello for the time being yeah yeah hi steve and and, uh, thanks for those uh, very kind words about the song it's absolutely beautiful but like i say we'll get into that later so um your heterosexual violence i mean as as a bisexual man i'm intrigued by the name firstly um but i'm also intrigued by the fact as i said in the introduction you've you formed in the 1980s you also disbanded in that decade as well and then there was kind of a almost chance encounter a couple of years ago which brought you guys back together dave i mean first of all what's up with the name and tell me a bit about the background to the band as well how you formed and how you then came back together a matter of years ago well we as as, as we say we formed in the um probably in the early 1980s um we had no real intention of ever forming a band uh, but we were watching some local bands one night um, one band in particular, um, we looked at and we just had a kind of eureka moment where we looked at each other and thought, we can do better than this. Um, <laughs> and so we went from, from there. Um, in terms of getting the name, um, the phrase your heterosexual violence seemed to crop up in conversation at some point. Uh, and, and again, it was, it was that eureka moment that, yes, that's the kind of in-your-face kind of name that, that we should be having. We formed as a, as a duo, 
um, gradually people came on board, some people stayed, some people left. Um, but yeah, we kind of fizzled out in the sort of mid-80s. Um, and we didn't really consider getting back together again until a few years ago when a number of local bands who'd been around from the 80s decided they were all going to get back together again and have a have a big party in, in, in New Cross and we would all play at that. So that seemed like a great idea. Um, so we got back together again for that with most of the original lineup. Um, and it went well. Uh, we kind of thought the old songs still have resonance. Um, we started writing some new songs and we thought after the after this gig, then yeah, let's uh, let's carry on and see how uh, see how it goes. That's uh, that's pretty much where we where we are now. Let's talk about the track that you've got out now because it, it's quite far removed from punk, um, not least in its musical style, but the subject matter as well is extremely extremely important. So. You guys have released a track called Pauper's Funeral, which, um, as I said in the introduction, regular listeners to this podcast and regular readers of The Canary will know it's about a subject very close to my heart. That is the Department for Work and Pensions. Specifically, it's to do with the work capability assessment, which claimants have to go through if they're applying for employment and support allowance under the DWP. Um, I mean, it's it's a fantastic track. It's it's so cleverly structured in terms of um, its musical style and the arrangement. It it is it it's kind of fits into that melodic pop um, genre, if you like, and it, it has sort of undertones of India. It put me a bit in mind of Radiohead, actually, when I when I first listened to it. You you have these haunting guitar riffs going on. You've got the wonderful sort of um, two play on the vocals between Gemma Freeman. Is how how did this project for Pauper's Funeral come about, Brian? What, what, where did this idea come from? Um, when was it inspired? Well, there's, there's two kind of major uh, things going on in my life that have put this issue quite to the front of my brain. I've been, uh, firstly, the fact that I, I work for Citizens Advice, and um, uh, I work in debt advice, but that crosses over a hell of a lot with benefit advice. Um, you know, a lot of our clients are being screwed by the DWP, and they're being sanctioned, they're being told they're fit for work when they... So, I mean, I'm no doctor, you know, but there's clients that sit down and they don't even have to tell you that they're ill, you know they're ill, you know, and they've been told they're fit for work. They've been told that they're going to lose their, 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 their ESA or their PIP, you know. It, it all came out of that. It all came out of that, you know, just what's, what I'm faced with, both in my work life and my private life on a pretty regular basis, you know. No, absolutely, and it is, it's horrific what is going on, what has been going on for many, many years now. This is not some, if you work for Citizens Advice, I'm sure you know, this is not some new problem at all. This has been this has been embedded for many years now, but, I mean, it, 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 that's a brilliant reason to produce something like this. But what's also brilliant, um, Dave, with the track, is that all the proceeds from the download are going to brilliant campaign group based in Scotland who, who fight and raise awareness on disability rights the campaign group Black Triangle um, what was the decision behind deciding to donate the download sales to Black Triangle well uh, Steve I was uh, actually reading 
uh, on the Canary, this must be all good 18 months or so ago, a story about how Disability News Service was struggling financially and uh, may have to start asking people for donations for the first time. And uh, that little bit of information stayed with me. And when we had the track ready, I uh, gave him a ring, spoke to um, John Pring. You probably know John. I could never resist saying I'd give Pring a ring. But anyway, um, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, <laughs> I spoke to him and I, I told him about the song, what it was about and so on. And it was John that directed me Black Triangle's way because, as he rightly pointed out, the work capability assessments and how they affect people are kind of their, their central, I think it's right to say. You probably know more about them than I do, but your, their, their, their real focus of attention is on that, I would say, you know. We, uh, we, we managed to contact them, spoke to John. I gather you know John. I do, yes, John and, McCarthy uh, from Black Triangle, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I, 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 I still await meeting him in person, but I look forward to doing so. What a nice guy, you know. Yeah, he's great. And, um, so John was really up for it, and before I knew it, I was hearing, I don't know if you know, Dr. Stephen and Gail that also uh, work at Black Triangle. We've, we've all been in, in touch with each other over the last few weeks. We're now ready to go with trying to and and thank you for helping us to drum up as much interest and support in this as possible so we can raise as much money for them as possible dave and brian it's been an absolute joy to speak to you you've you've been a real pleasure to chat to um and it's it's fascinating to hear the background but more importantly i really really respect and appreciate what you're doing with regards to the work capability assessment with pauper's funeral and of course what you're doing for black triangle i think it's great so um everyone at home please 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 go to the link in the show notes download the song donate what you can because it is going to a very good cause for the minute dave brian from your heterosexual violence thank you so much for coming on the podcast it's been a pleasure thank you so much steve for having us and for your support really appreciate it thank you aren't dave and brian the loveliest guys and the track is absolutely amazing and it is such a good cause it is going to as well but more importantly it is an extremely important topic and the more awareness we raise about it the better all the links are in the show notes for where you can download the song and as i said in the interview you can also donate money to the fantastic back triangle but here is a snippet of that haunting song by your heterosexual violence this is pauper's funeral your heterosexual violence with pauper Stop my benefit to cut the deficit Leave me riding in hell, why don't you? Papa's funeral, I'll make it sooner I'll see what I can do about it Do about it See how far I've slipped Save you a few
And that's it. Series 2, Episode 5 of Top Lung Caged is done. I'd like to thank my fantastic guests this week, the lovely Rachel from Lion's Disease Protest UK. You can follow them on Twitter. It's at Lime underscore protest. Also, they're the incredible guys from your heterosexual violence. They're not on Twitter. Follow them on Bandcamp. As always, behind the scenes, thank you to the love of my life, the gorgeous Nicola Jeffrey. Follow her on Twitter. It's at Nicola C. Jeffrey. And my man behind the booth, sound engineer Gav Pauls. Follow him on Twitter. It's at Pauls with a Z Radio. And last but not least, my in-house singer, it's Ray Star Music. Follow her on Twitter. It's at Ray underscore star 113. I'll be back next Sunday. Until next week, take care of yourself. Uncaged.